welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, we're in the middle of our summer sermon series. Uh, and it's all about based off this book by Dennis. Uh, I got it here. Dennis, what is it? What's his last name again? Dennis Rouse. Sorry. Uh, and it's called 10 Qualities That Move You From a Believer to a Disciple. 10 Qualities That Move You From a Believer to a Disciple. If you want this book, okay, I heard this this morning. We ran out. We, we don't have any more this weekend, but next weekend we're going to have more so you can buy it at a discounted rate. We're selling it. This one's Pastor Becca's, so you have to work really or talk really nice to her to see if she'll give you that. But uh, it's a great book. And to be clear, discipleship is, uh, isn't just have to do with, with someone who believes in Jesus. That's amazing. Discipleship goes way past that. And discipleship speaks to a disciplined follower of Jesus. And it's hard to be a disciplined follower of Jesus if you don't know, uh, how he lived or, or what to do. And the only way to know how he lived is to seek him out in this thing, the word, the word that he gave us. And that comes to what we're talking about today. And today in, in this chapter from the book, we're talking about how a disciple is God governed by the authority of the word. A disciple is governed by the authority of the word. And to be clear, we're talking about God's word, the Bible. Now, this is a huge topic, and I'm going to touch on as much as I can. I have tons of scriptures I'm, I'm bringing today, but uh, I know David back in the sound booth, he's wore out because he had to put them all onto slides. But but uh, but just know that if you want more, and you should, that you can sign up for Alpha this fall in September. We're going to be doing this awesome thing called Alpha, and we're going to talk more about the Bible and the Word in that, so you can sign up for that. But now, when I read the title to this chapter, I'm not kidding, like, the word govern just leapt out at me. Like, it, it caught my attention, and what I thought of right away, what God brought to my memory was, was back in the day, I used to farm with my dad. We had a farm, and uh, and I went back working with him, and he thought he came up with a great idea. He's like, "I know, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a semi, and then Aaron can drive that and haul grain from the elevators way down south to the to the river where they put it onto barges, and that'll generate money, and that'll pay his salary." And uh, and that was a great plan. So we had this plan, and we went shopping for for a semi, and we found one, and we bought one. And it was nice, but the only problem with it was, is the engine, like, didn't have much power. And, uh, and for, for that, you'd like to have power. Who doesn't want to have more power? Like, I want to grunt like, you know, Tim Toolman right now. But, uh, but the other problem with the engine was that it had this thing on it called a governor. And the governor was set at 62 miles an hour. And, <laughs> And that's all fine down on the rural roads, but when you get on the big road and the freeway, yes, I was that guy going 62 miles an hour that you almost ran into the back of me because I'm going so slow. And, and it was terrible. Like, talk about God working on my patience, building my character, and being okay, being slow and underpowered. So... uh 
But I was telling someone this story and he looked at me, he goes, you know, every engine is governed. Kind of, he was like, like wink, wink, like I tried it out on my car. I know. And I was like, okay, fine. I don't know where you did that. But the truth is that every engine has to have a governor because if it doesn't, what crazy people like that will push it to its limit called a red line. And if you get past the red line, you could really damn it, do some damage, whether either to the engine or to someone else out on the road. And, and, you know, and there's also practical reasons. Like a lot of semis are governed because when they, they stay at a certain speed, they, they actually are more fuel efficient. So now today I'm not here to talk about engines. I know some of you wish I would, but, uh, but this is really an illustration about our lives and how God has given us something and he prepared something for us that if we're willing to implement God's word in our life, that we can actually allow this to govern our decisions as we seek his will. And now before I go any further, I just want to share some practical definitions. These are definitions of that word governor, govern, okay? One is to rule by right of authority. To govern is to rule by right of authority. Another is to exercise a directing or restraining influence over or to guide, okay? Another is to hold in check or to control. Uh, the last but not least is to have pre-dominating influence over something. And how many of you know, I, I'm just being honest, I want God to have pre-dominating influence over my life. I trust him. He's amazing. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere all the time, and he cares and loves for me. And with that, I'm like, I'm all in, God. And how many of you would agree that life sometimes can feel seriously out of control? And it would be nice to maybe have something or someone to help govern our life decisions. And and again, the good news is that we have this loving Heavenly Father that created the big, huge universe, but then He created this world that we live in. He created us in His own image, and then He didn't leave us here on our own. He actually wrote it all down and, and, and prepared it, had people that protected it, and now here... I can even stand on this stage and hold this precious thing called the Word of God, and it helps me. I want to read this. This is 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture, not some, all scripture is inspired, breathed in by God, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It, it corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. Another great verse, Psalm 32, 8 through 9, it says this, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Don't be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Now, the Bible is full of amazing stories, histories of God's people who not only had good things happen, but failures too. And it's all in there to help us. It's to help us today to live in this complex world. First Corinthians 10, Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. And you might say, well, Topper, but why? Why would I or why should I allow God's word to govern my life? And I'd say like, well, if you don't, like you're kind of crazy because there's tons of amazing benefits to having this in your life. One is the word brings healing and strength. Proverbs 3, 7 says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord, turn away from evil, and then you will have healing for your body and strength 
for your bones. That's amazing to me. His word leads us to him, to salvation and life. John 20, 31 says this, but, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And the truth is his word is powerful. Someone once said, and I believe this as well, that when you sit and you read his word, it's easy to think like I'm reading the Bible, but the Bible's really reading you. And you're like, what? And I'll show you. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and our desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, for he is the one to whom we are accountable. Jesus said that we'd be judged. In other words, that that his word isn't just for teaching and direction. His word is actually full of warnings for us who live today. Uh, John 12, 48, Jesus said to them, he said, but to all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth that I have spoken. His word brings freedom. Anyone want freedom in your life? Come on, you can raise your hand like that's a good thing, just so you know. Freedom is amazing. John 8, 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you truly are my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. There it is. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So again, as we remain faithful to his teachings and his word, his power of his word literally has the power to set us free. Last, his word is truth. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying for us. And he said, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? Now, Dennis Rouse, in his book, uh, he, he has some comparisons and some contrasts. And, and I'm just going to read what he had wrote in his book. And it's talking about how the way a believer views and applies God's word compared to the way a disciple views and applies God's word. And it says this, believers attend church, read their Bibles occasionally, they pray, and they go to Bible studies and concerts, and they appear to be devoted followers until God's commands conflict with their goals of happiness and prosperity. They don't expect God to ever contradict them or make them uncomfortable or challenge their life goals. When those things happen, and they most certainly do because God is perfect in wisdom and power and we're, well, we're not, uh, they shrug and find an excuse to ignore God. Now, he goes on to say that disciples have a very different response to God's word. They see the truth of the Bible as God's sovereign and perfect message to them, even when it makes them uncomfortable. In fact, disciples expect God to contradict them and challenge their goals and values. And this is why Paul said it to the, the church and the believers and disciples in Thessalonica. He said this in 1 Thessalonians 2. He said, therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you believed his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which indeed it was. And this word continues to work in you who believe. Now, Dennis, he offers some great questions that we should ask ourselves regarding God's word, okay? These are key, and I'm going to put them up on the screen. One, do I believe that the Bible is the true word of God? Do I believe the Bible is really the true word of God? 
It's a good question to answer. Two, do I want the Bible to be the standard of truth for how I live my life? Or is there some other standard worthy of my allegiance? You pick. It's your decision. God's not going to force you to believe. Three, how will I respond when my goals and desires conflict with what the word of God says? How will I respond? Four, do I really believe that living by the word of God will make give me a richer, fulfilling life than ignoring it? Uh, these are amazing questions to ask. Now, when I was reading through these questions, there was two more that came to my heart that I felt like we should truly decide in our spirit for living this life. One is, is God truly good all the time? Is God truly good all the time? Have you determined the answer to that question? It's very important. Two, do I only, or do I truly trust God or trust Him with every part of my life in all of my perspectives, all of my decisions? Do you truly trust God with everything? These two questions, I promise you, in your life will be challenged. They will be challenged. Life will come face-to-face with these two questions when things don't go your way or seemingly bad things happen. We need to answer these questions. Again, when you go through really hard times, and some of you are maybe going through them right now, or maybe some of you have been through them in your past, and you know that when that happens, these these questions come forefront with you, and you got to decide, is God really good, or am I am I struggling right now? Uh, I take great comfort in Jesus' words. I love how he always just shoots straight with me. In John 16, he said this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Amen? Amen. Now, just this is one idea for parents. You can do this for your kids if you want. Um, when Lexi was really young, Sue's super smart woman, she got a journal and she started journaling all of Lexi's prayers. And she dated them. And then when, when we, we saw the prayers get answered, she put the answer to the prayer and dated it. And then when, when she graduated before she went to college, we gave her that journal. And then she had something tangible in her hands that she could look to, to remind her of God's goodness and power and faithfulness in her life. Amen. Amen. Now, why? I'm sorry. Every time I talk about Lexi, this happens. <laughs> Oh, I'm a dad. Uh, but why should I believe the Bible's truth, Topper? Like, why should I believe the Bible is truth? That's a good question. I have four good reasons. One, believing the word of God is the only good option that really makes sense. Just being honest. I mean, I've heard and, and, and seen and talked about and, and journaled like a lot of different religions in the world, and they all seem really good at the surface. But the digger you go down, or the deeper you go down and you dig into them, you find out there's some things that are iffy, or they don't make sense, or they're really not that good. And, and the truth be told, pretty much every religion apart from ours, you earn your way to God one way or another, if you even get to meet him. He's very impersonable or something like that. And here we got this truth in the Bible where, where we have this God, a redemptive God who, who had a plan and he sent his one and only son and he came and he died for us on the cross and he paid the price. He did it all. All we got to do is believe by faith and we receive everything that everybody else is trying to work for. I think that's a pretty good deal. Amen. Amen. The other thing that, that speaks to me is when I know this Bible, now that I've read this Bible and I look at the world and I look at creation, it makes sense. 
It makes perfect sense. I'm just being honest. Growing up and the stuff I was taught in school, it didn't make sense to me. It just didn't add up. I knew in my heart it wasn't true. The other thing is, I take tons of, of uh, bank in this about God's word. Back in the day, the cultures of the day, the Hebrew culture, the ones that recorded God's word, was the only culture that would actually not just uh, write about their victories and their successes, they would write about their failures too. Anybody that's read the Bible knows, yes, they put their failures in there, and some of them were pretty embarrassing. But that's the way our God rolls. He's transparent, he's honest, he's true. And besides all this, if that's not enough, when I, uh, earlier in the year, Sue and I were super blessed to go on Global Experience Israel, and we were able to go over to the land, and we were able to see it with our own eyes, we were able to see what they've uh, dug up, and they found, and they keep digging up stuff, and it keeps proving that what is in here is actually true, it's not stories, it's history. Two, the Bible has proven to be the most prophetically accurate book of all time. There are over 300 prophecies that point to the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled them all. Over 300. I'm just going to read a few of them to you. He would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. He'd be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. He'd come from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10. He would have to flee to Egypt, Hosea 11.1. He would be rejected by his own people, Isaiah 53.3. He would be the son of God, Psalm 2.7. He'd be crucified, Psalm 22.12-18. His hands and his feet would be pierced, Psalm 22.16. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb, Isaiah 53.9. He would rise from the dead, 16.10. And he would ascend to the right hand of God, Psalm 68.18. It's all true. He fulfilled them all, and he did it. And he is God. He is God's son. It's amazing. Here's what Peter wrote about the Bible when he was assuring his early church of the reality and the reliability of the word of God and prophecy. In 2 Peter 1.16, he says this, For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven and we were with him on that holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have an even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay attention to what they had wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and when Christ's morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Amen. Amen. Come on, we can clap for that. Third reason, Jesus himself always referred to the word of God as his final authority. We should too. When Jesus, okay, I'll get to go back. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by the uh, disciple or apostle John, whatever, John the Baptist. 
John the Baptizer. How about that? I don't know if he was Baptist or Catholic or what. I don't know. Uh, but I know he baptized. And so Jesus is baptized and he literally comes up out of the water. And, and it says that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The very next reference says he was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And he fasted for 40 days and he was hungry. Yes, he was. And, and it then that says that the devil came to him and he tested him or tempted him. And every time that the devil came at him and attacked him, Jesus had this one defense. He defeated him and defended himself by quoting the truth of God's word. The devil came and used the same tactic that he's using on you. He's using it on me. He used it on Adam and Eve way back in the garden. And he said it in so many words to Jesus. Did God truly say? Did God really say? And never forget this. I've heard this and I believe it's 100% true. When God speaks a word over you, a word of faith, uh, a word, a promise, whatever it is, you better believe that word is going to be tested in this world because it has to become real in this world. And if you need an example, some, some of you maybe have dealt with sickness or, or you've been in a place where you're in the hospital and God gives you a promise that, Hey, you're going to, you're going to be good. You're going to be healed. I promise you, you're going to be healed. You better believe that, that don't be surprised if it gets worse or if the doctor gives you a terrible report, who are you going to believe? You're going to believe your loving father who spoke a word of faith over you? Are you going to believe what some doctor says? I encourage you to live by faith. Here's the example that Jesus gives us, okay? Uh, at the Jordan, okay? I already spoke about it, but at the Jordan, think about it. God, the heavenly father, his heavenly father, your heavenly father, comes and he speaks over him. And he says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Simply three verses later in the text, three verses later, the devil comes to him. What is the very first thing the devil says? If you are the son of God, tell these stones to turn into bread and eat. Right away, first thing, he attacks the very word that God had just spoken over Jesus. And Jesus Jesus shot back in Matthew 4, 4, he said this. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, right there, Jesus fought back with the word of God from Deuteronomy 18. Three. Now, let me take a quick moment. I just want to point something out. It's very important. Uh, some assume that in this temptation that the devil tempted Jesus to eat, and then if he ate, he would sin because he was fasting and all that. And it's like, that wasn't really the temptation. The temptation, more or less, was, was to get Jesus to use a gift that God had given him to feed himself. Don't talk to God. Like the devil was more or less like, hey, you don't need to talk to him. You've already been blessed. You've already been gifted. Use it. Take care of yourself. Can you imagine if the devil can trick each and every one of us to never talk to God, never seek counsel from God and use these gifts and talents that he gave us just to take care of ourselves. Just take care of yourself. You don't need to help anybody. You imagine life that that is like that's death. That wouldn't be life at all. 
And yet, it's so amazing that Jesus rebuked him with God's word, and then the opposite actually happened. If you didn't read the rest of the story, Jesus didn't need to use the gift that God gave him. God took care of his needs in that moment, and then Jesus goes and he feeds the thousands. He multiplied the bread and fish, and today he's still multiplying the bread for us. This is our daily bread. Every day, he can feed you with more than enough than you need for your life, for living and facing whatever you're going to face today. Come on, church. <sighs> Another key point. I, I just, this is so important. You got to get this. Another key point, and it's hidden in the text. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's a, there's a key thing to note there that that word, word, that Jesus actually used is a, is a certain word in the original language, and it wasn't the written word, logos. It was actually Jesus used the, the spoken word, rhema. And there's two different, two, two different terms. Now, logos is God's written word. It's the physical word. It's written down and it's recorded for us to use, to read, to reference. It never changes. But then when we read it, what, what happens is, is the Holy Spirit comes and he, and he speaks to us out of the word something for us, for today, for tomorrow. Maybe it's for next year. Maybe it's for someone that you're going to run in today. But God, God the Holy Spirit speaks a word into your life. And you see it in the text that I said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, not the finger of God that wrote the word, it's the mouth of God. And if you aren't living on it every day, you aren't living on it every day. You got nothing. Serious. How many people can, how long can you make it without eating physically? Not long. And a lot of us are trying to make it not eating spiritually. We got to get into God's word. Um, uh, this is why uh, when we do soap, we always talk about soap. We want you to do soap every day. And this is scripture, observation, application, prayer. It's the same concept. It's it's two chapters a day, or today was three chapters. And you sit down, and you pray, and you're like, God, speak to me today. And again, speak to me. I'm going to read it, but I want you to speak to me. What do I need for today? What do, what do someone in my life, what do they need? I, I'm always God speaking to me. I'm texting people like things that God showed me and promises. It's for me, but it's for you. And this is why in the promise principle, like the, the Bible study that I'm a part of, every week we have homework, we read one chapter a week, every day we read that chapter, and then when we meet, we sit down and we read the chapter together out loud, and what we're doing is we're listening. And, and then God will point out a, a verse to us or something that just popped out us and spoke to us. And then we define it like, what was that to you? Was it a promise, truth, or command? And what we're doing is we're trying to whittle it down so we understand why God spoke to us so that we can apply it to our lives. Does that make sense? Like, it's not just about learning. It's about applying. There's another cool angle on this. Uh, that word, that same word, rhema, okay? Paul used it later on in the Bible in Ephesians 6 when he was he was encouraging and exhorting the Ephesian church he was telling them look look your your enemies your real enemies it's not people it's not flesh and blood you're you're battling these these forces in the unseen world why so what do you do you got to put on the full armor of god 
And he goes through all the armor and then he gets to verse 17 and he says this, put on salvation as your helmet and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the rhema word of God, the spoken word of God. There it is. I know a lot of men, we like to walk around with our Bibles, go, got my sword. Well, you kind of do. Okay. You kind of do. There's swords in here. It's actually the Bible. Okay. Uh, you ain't cutting me like with this thing. Okay. But when you read this, now, now you have a weapon. Now you have something to defeat the enemy with. Okay, now. So I'm asking you, what is God speaking to you today? You can daily spend time with God, just like I do, and allow Him to speak to you and help you, because I promise you, if you're like me, you're going to get attacked. And what do you got to defend yourself? What do you have to shoot back? Because God wants you to be victorious. He wants your life to be full with power. And you need something to wield to defend yourself. And you got to have God's word. It's the only weapon that really works. And I can tell you, this is the main reason. This is another reason why I allow God's word to govern my life. And I am happy for it. I love it. Amen. I can trust his word. It works. Last reason, I've seen God's word work powerfully in my life. Years ago, when I was a baby Christian, I'd never read the Bible, never read it. Uh, I knew it. I saw it. I knew that there was a book about jobs in it. You know, I saw it when I was a kid. But Sue had this awesome grandma, like amazing woman of God. Like she just amazing. I mean, I was telling George last service, George Jutes, if you know George, he's a hugger. She was a hugger. First time I met her, I put my hand out. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, hey. And she's like, how about a hug? I'm like, I like this lady. And, uh, but when Lexi was a baby, she died. And, and she had something that Sue wanted. I don't know if Sue was thinking of me when she got it from her grandma, but, but she got her Bible on tape, cassette tapes, cassettes, like, you know, like these rectangle things, wines, rewinds. Amazing. And Sue got those from for me. I think she got them for me. She hadn't told me, but like, I think they're for me. I know they're for me. And I remember we were driving and we might've been even driving home from the, the celebration of life service. And, and we were talking about this concept of reading the Bible. I don't know how it came up, but I was making excuses. I was like, yeah, I never read the Bible. Probably never will. I'm a slow reader. You know, probably not gonna read the Bible. And, and she didn't say nothing. And, but uh, the next thing I knew, like, here's the, the third volume, the New Testament part of the Bible on tape out there for me to take whenever I wanted. And praise God, I finally took it. And I was driving semi at the time. And so I had all the time in the world. I worked a lot. And, um, and so finally I took that and I put it in, starting in the book of Matthew. It's the first time I ever heard or read the Bible. It was powerful. It was surreal. I'm like, this stuff is in here? And I'm going all the way through the New Testament. And I finally get into Revelation, which we're reading now in soap. And I'm like, what is all this stuff? Like, wow. And then I get through the last sentence of the Bible. And it comes to this powerful ending. And it was so powerful for me. It was so moving. It, it left me speechless. It's like time stood still. Here's the awesome thing. 
I was hooked. I needed to know more. This wasn't enough. I wanted more. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to grow more. I would listen to that to those Bible tapes over and over again. I'd listen to them all day long. I would let them play. If I ever slept in my semi, I'd just let them play while I slept. They'd just play all night long. I couldn't get enough of God. Are you hungry for God today? I'm asking you. Because it matters. And that wasn't enough to listen to it. I wanted to read it every day. And it became part of my daily discipline. It became part of who I was. And I would not miss it for the world. And years later, this is, this is why it matters. This is, this is why, this is how it applied to my life. This is why it matters. Years ago, I'm in the lobby at church talking to this guy. He had struggled with addiction and God set him free. And then one day he relapsed back into addiction. And as he was telling that whole story, I don't know anything else he said because I went into La La Land and I was like, I started talking to God. And I was like, holy cow, God, like, why didn't that happen to me? Like, why didn't I fall back into the old things, the old habits, the old topper, the old addictions? Like, what happened? And right away, the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, it's because you got hooked on my word. My word is what kept you. Amen. And it was like, God, when he speaks to you, it's like he says all of these things. He's like, it doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you, I kept you growing. I kept you going the right direction. I was holding you. And God wants to hold you. If anything, your heavenly father loves you and he wants to spend time with you every day. This is how you can do it. So as we close out, I want to pray. I want to pray for all of us that we would have that hunger in us, that we would never be satisfied. We worship a God who's always got more. I don't care how much you have. He's always got more. He will, you'll never outdo him. You'll ever not out get God. Like he's always got more for you. He's got an endless supply. So will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this word today. Thank you for your word. And God, today I pray a supernatural hunger over each and every one of us, God, that we would not settle. We would not be able to go a day without your word in our lives. God, we need you. We want to know you more. We want to seek you daily. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for the grave. Thank you for overcoming for us. Thank you, God, that we overcome because you overcame. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.